there's some things that we realize are incompatible with each other. I mean, oil and, and water, matter and antimatter, they just, they can't be together. And we think, we think that trials and joy are incompatible, that these two things can't go together, suffering and rejoicing. We think it, it has to be one or the other. If things are going well in life, if things are, are going good, then, yeah, then you can have joy, then you can have rejoicing. But if things take a turn for the worse, if there are difficulties, if there are suffering, then the message of the world is, well, that's not a time for you to rejoice now. This is a time to be, uh, to be miserable, to give up hope, uh, and definitely not be praying, praying, praising God for these things. But in this message, we are going to see that not only is it true that suffering and rejoicing are not incompatible, we are going to see how God uses trials to produce rejoicing. And that in God's plan, trials and joy are not incompatible, but really they're indispensable to each other because God uses them together in his plan that he has for us, for our good and for his glory. So let's read together First Peter. This is chapter 1, and today we're going to read 6 through 9. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Once again, the letter of First Peter does not disappoint. These are glorious, wonderful truths that we get to think of and wrap our minds around. And I hope you'll continue to meditate on these uh, uh, in the days to come. So as we look at this, the, the first thing I want to say to you from this passage, and this because of the context I'm speaking to you as Christians, and if you are a Christian, if you're born again, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is this truth. Christian, you can rejoice even in the midst of trials. You can. This passage is telling us this. Uh, when we look at this and we see, uh, especially in uh, beginning here, verses 6 and 7, this is a truth that it's teaching. So looking at this passage, we notice at the very beginning it says, in this. So that's a, that would be a strange way to just uh, you know, start a letter if it started right there. You know, in this, because it makes you want to say, in what? So we recognize that even though it's the beginning of the sermon, it's not the beginning of Peter's letter. There's stuff that came before this. So if, you're here, if you were here last week, um, remember we talked about that we are born again into a living hope by the mercy of God. And his, his power causes us to be born again into a living hope. And that we have that hope. It, it is alive. It's not a dead hope. It cannot be taken away from us. And it, said, it talks about also that there is an inheritance that we have uh, because we were born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That means when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to him by faith. 
And so you're united with him into his death and into his resurrection. And as he is made alive, you are made alive as well. And also then, being united with him, we're also co-heirs with Christ. And so it talks about that we have an inheritance, an inheritance uh, that can never be destroyed, that is uh, undefiled, that can never fade away, and that is, is lasting. So many things in this world don't last but the promises and the inheritance we have from God is firm and secure. And your salvation is firm and secure too. Because last week in the passage, it also talked about that um, it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So when it says in our, today's passage, in this, we need to remember this is connected to uh, the verses that we dealt with last week. If you, if you missed that, you could go to the website and find the message. I encourage you to uh, just keep these things in mind. And this is why, as we're going through First Peter, we're not jumping around. We're not doing little bits here and there. We get so much more out of Scripture when we read it in context and when we take each part of it, uh, you know, verse by verse, passage by passage, and look at what does it have to say to us and how do all these ideas connect to each other. So the first thing we realize is if we're called to and saying we can rejoice in the midst of trials, it's because of those other truths. That if you have been born again uh, by, by God, if you've been given this new life through faith in Christ, then it, you have all these promises. You have this security that, that we wouldn't have otherwise that makes a difference, that leads to joy to produce this in our lives. But there is also trials. This passage talks about trials. In fact, this is a big theme in 1 Peter, trials, suffering. Uh, by my count, I counted the word uh, suffer or suffering at least 17 times in the book of 1 Peter. It's going to keep coming up because Peter is addressing these Christians that are, that are exiles in the world and letting them know that there are going to be trials. There are going to be difficult times that are coming. And how can they have the right hope to, to anchor them, to get them through these times, to help them to meet these trials in the right way? So, this first point, I want to just look at the passage. There's so many things we could say about trials and about suffering, and the Bible teaches lots of different things. But I pulled out seven things that are right from these two verses. And so I want to start by just, by just talking about these things. So we realize that some of these are staring us right in the face, but they're oftentimes very different from what the world tells us or where our mind would just go if we just let it on its own. And so we need to look at Scripture, look at the words that are there, and have this change us and change our thinking. So the first thing we think about this, uh, seven truths about trials as we pull it from this, is trials are not incompatible with joy. This is a big a part of the message, but we see this and it says, in this you rejoice. And then it talks about trials. So just to make it really clear, this is saying that these two things do not need to cancel each other out. It is not either or. It is not either your life is going uh, smooth and without problem or, uh, or uh, and therefore you can rejoice, or there's trials. It's, it's, you can have both of these at the same time. Because contrary to the message that the world tells us, true joy does not come from an absence of suffering. A message that, we have, that you get from the world is that you can be happy and you, know, you can be joyful when things are going good and when there's no suffering in your life. 
And no one should ever have to have any difficulty. No one should ever have to have any, any suffering. And that's kind of the message we hear. And we think, well, any type of, you know, suffering or trials, well, yeah, that, that just shouldn't be there. And we shouldn't, um, we, we can't rejoice. We can't have joy. That our happiness comes from our circumstances is the message we get from the world. And sometimes there are even times where people get that from some churches that may teach like, God is here to just make you healthy and well and everything to go great in your life. No, the, the truth is that there are trials in life and these things are not incompatible, that our joy that we have is something that is, is, is deeper than our circumstances. Worldly happiness is just outside on the externals and therefore, yeah, the, things go bad. The circumstances can take away your, 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 your external worldly happiness and the way that the world views it. But the joy that God gives is deep down where the circumstances of life can't touch it. It's a, it's a true happiness. And we can have happiness and joy and rejoicing even when there are trials. So it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. You catch that? No, now for a little while. This means that trials are temporary. It says they're, they're for a little while. So they're, they're short-lived and I, I believe I can say that they're short-lived, even though we may not feel like that at times. We may feel like, okay, you're saying these are short-lived. And yeah, the uh, uh, Apostle Paul said, called them light and momentary afflictions. But you know what? It doesn't feel like that. And there's some things where, yeah, they also said, you know, coronavirus was only going to last, you know, two or three weeks, and then we were good. And here we are. And we have trials. And, I, and trials that you may be going through, they say, yeah, this isn't just a few weeks. Uh, this has been not even just a few years. Yeah. There are trials that go on and on. And I'm sorry about that. I, I'm, it, it is a, a tough thing. And there are trials. I, I don't want you to misunderstand me and, th- and think that I'm promising you that, you know, you, you come in here, you pray a prayer, and your trial is going to go away next week. The reality is, there are trials that will last a long time. There are trials that you may have that are going to last the rest of this life. But what we realize, looking at Scripture and having a biblical worldview, is that this life is not all there is. That there is eternity after this. And so that even if you spend a hundred years with trials and suffering, that after that, I mean, that amount of time that you had compared to eternity shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks until it just seems like a speck. We have to remember that. We have to keep eternity in our focus and realize that even if it is a long time, that there is an end to it, that it is something that is temporary. It's not something that's going to go on and on and on forever for you, believer. Though for a little while, then it says, if necessary. Trials are only given if necessary. Necessary according to God. If God views them as being necessary in his view, in his opinion. You would hate to um, just uh, take a prescription or, or do something if it, if it wasn't really necessary to do, but God is the one that knows what you really need to do. You would hate to have an operation if it was just, you know, having it for fun. That's uh, a painful thing to go through. But God, if he puts you through something hard, he's doing it because he views that this is necessary according to his plan according to his purposes and his goals. We're going to see what those are, his good goals for you, which include his glory, 
and includes ultimately our joy and our happiness in him. But just realizing, it, I love that it says that if they're necessary, because God is sovereign over all these things. And whatever you're experiencing, whatever the tough thing is, God wouldn't be allowing it if he didn't view this as necessary. If he didn't view it as an important part of his plan and, and, and his story and your story as a part of his story. God is sovereign over all these things. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Trials grieve. Trials can be painful. And again, this is another truth from this passage that's just staring us in the face. And we need to to realize this. But I need you to hear that it is okay for you to admit that trials hurt. Okay? It is okay for you to admit that these things can be hard, can be really hard, emotionally hard, spiritually hard, that can be you know, devastating for your soul. And the, yes, we can, we, we ought to rejoice through these things. God gives us this. But it doesn't mean that what I'm telling you is, yeah, Christian, just pretend it doesn't hurt. Just make sure you put some plastic dopey smile on your face and go around and, you know, you have to pretend like you have so much faith that it's no big deal that all these terrible things are happening to you. That is not what the Bible teaches. This is teaching that these things can and do, do grieve us. You know, there's, there's sin in the world. There are illnesses. There are things that are the consequences of sin. And these are things that it, it's okay to, to have it grieve us. We still hope in God through them. We still rejoice and can praise God through them. But it's okay to feel these things. You need to remember that for you, you need to remember for other people too. It means that when other people are hurting too, it's, it's okay for them to grieve. It's okay for them. And as we come alongside them, Yes, we want to help them to, to remember, to find their hope in, in God, to, find a, to still have a deep-down joy, but it doesn't just mean telling them, get over it. You know, get over the, you know, you're, 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 you're suffering and, oh, you're depressed and you're hard for me to be around. And so, you know, cheer up and let's just move on. We want to help them in the right way. And it doesn't mean pretending that things that hurt don't really hurt. They do, they do grieve us. And it's okay to admit that. And there's trials, they come in various kinds. The passage says, grieved by various trials. When you think of all the different types of, you know, categories of trials and types that there are, and sometimes they're, they're, they're physical trials, they're the things that are emotional difficulties, spiritual uh, difficulties, relational difficulties, uh, economic difficulties. If we made a list, I mean, you could list like a a hundred different things and keep going. There's a lot of different various trials and some that may seem to be a bigger deal or a lesser deal. Sometimes it seems a lesser deal until you're the one that's uh, in the midst of it and it's it's hitting you. But we need to remember too that whatever trial that we are going through, that you are going through, is not necessarily the only kind of trial there is. And there's other real legitimate trials that other people are going through. And we recognize that it may genuinely be, be difficult and, and hurting them, and we need to come alongside them. And not just think, well, it's not my type of trial, so it doesn't exist, or it's not real, or it's not important. Trials come in various types. Your trial won't be the same as others, but what you have in common is that everyone does have trials. We do all have trials that come in our life, and, and none of us are spared these things. Trials are purposeful. 
doesn't specifically say the word purpose, but we're going to see as we keep going in the passage here that God is using them for his purpose. They are not random things that happen. They are not pointless things that happen. It's not just that fate grabs, you know, in the, in the big grab bag of life and says, oh, you're afflicted with this. And you know what? If God didn't exist, and if we were just the, part, the result of some big cosmic accident, and that's all there is, well then, that's really, you can't say that trials are really purposeful. It's just the result of atoms banging together. It's just the result of a chain of events that, that happened with no point one day, and, and here you are. And whether it's uh, things going on around you, or if it's even things in your body, and your, your world, or something that you came down with that somebody else didn't, well, you know, it's just that's how the, you roll the dice of the DNA and that's just how it is. If you viewed it in that way without God, yeah, things could look pointless and meaningless. But we're seeing in this passage that God does things on purpose. He is purposeful. And that puts a whole different light on as we think about our, our trials. And one of the big purposes, I think there, there's more than this, but one of the big purposes that we see in this passage is that trials prove our faith. Trials prove that faith, faith in Jesus Christ, is genuine faith. It, it tests it. it. It demonstrates that it is true. In verse 7, it says, the tested genuineness of your faith. Tests test. Okay? That's what tests do. They, they test. The word that's for trials can also be translated as tests. And that's what, you know, a a test, if you take a test, you can pass the test, you can fail the test. But it's going to reveal truth. It's going to reveal something about you and how prepared you were for this. Trials, when you think of a trial or a legal trial, you know, they're called trials because they they prove something one way or another. And it can turn out uh, well or it can turn out poorly. Again, you can pass, you can fail. And the word that's used for trials um, has a definition of a putting to proof. It's something that, that proves kind of what is true. So you think of, um, you know, proving or you think of it like a test track or a proving gown for, for a car. You know, there's a lot of things that we want, we realize we want to be tested uh, and we want them to be found to pass the test. It's an important thing. If you're getting on an airplane, you want to make sure that this airplane has actually been tested, don't you? Okay, so you know, when Kayleen goes to Indonesia, she's going to want to know that, that that airplane has been, you know, tested, maybe flown around a few times, and the wings are going to fall off, you know, as they, as they take off. You want that. You want to know that your pilot has uh, passed some uh, tests to know that this person knows what uh, he or she's doing behind, behind the wheel. We want that for, for drivers, you know, my son just got his driver's license not long ago, and I want to know that he is, he's tested as we trust him to be out on the roads. You want that for the other drivers, that, the one that's coming at you at 65 miles per hour, that this person has been tested and that he hopefully knows what he's doing. Okay? We want that for your doctor. Okay, before he starts cutting you open, you want to know that this person's been trained and tested and knows what he's doing. He's not going to just, well, learning on the job here. Let's see what we can do. So we want this. And the more things are tested, the more confidence we have, the more valuable they are to us. I, I don't mean to be uh, political or controversial with this, but you know, a big thing in the world today right now is the COVID vaccines. And 
obviously the more that the vaccines are, are tested and the more that that goes, the more confidence more people are going to have with them. So again, I'm not telling you don't, don't take it. I'm just saying it's a reality that the, the more something is tested, the more we're able to, to put our confidence in it. So again, when it talks about testing, it, you know, think of you know, uh, like a vehicle putting on a testing track or a, a proving ground to show what it really is, what it's made of. Some things need to be stress tested. Can it take the, can it take the pressure? Can it take the, the abuse? Or is it just going to crumble? This is true about things that are, that are manufactured or even uh, metals or, or building material. Things need to be battle-tested, stress-tested. You know, to make this really clear and to think about this, um, I'm going to do a, just kind of a little object lesson here. And for this, I know a lot of our kids are off at um, Kids Blast. I wonder if there is a younger kid that would volunteer to help me out. Is there anyone that would like to come up and, and kind of help me out with something here? Got something for you. And it would, uh, this is being live streamed. So you want to come up? All right. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> it needs to be something, you're okay. This is live stream. You guys know that. So, okay. And, uh, you know, with this too. Well, I'll get out what we're, what we're doing here. You think of things that need to be, their strength. And, um, all right. So, Come up, you're, you're strong, right? Because I need to be strong, all right? <laughs> so, tell everyone your name. Um, I'm Isaac. This is Isaac. Isaac, I love the fact that you came up here to test me out, or to, to help me out. Uh, you don't even know what, you're, what you volunteered for, what you're doing. So I like that. I like that. That's, that's how I got this job. Uh, <laughs> come on over here. Just, just wait just a second. Notice you're, you have good karate skills, right? All right. It's going to be important. Because what I have here, I have this, this big granite slab, okay? This authentic granite slab that I have right here. Okay. Clunk, clunk. All right. This four inches of, of solid granite, okay? You can tell because of the uh, realistic uh, color of it. <laughs> so as this, I think that even though obviously you are incredibly strong and gifted and skilled in karate, right? right. Yes. <laughs> you actually, really? You actually did? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Okay, but have you ever like karate chopped like four inches of solid granite? Um, I've chopped about um, an inch of wood. All right, an inch of good. This is, but see, here's the thing. I want to prove to everyone that this is four inches of solid granite uh, by the fact that you, basically a karate expert, are not going to be able to chop this. But I want you to try. I want you to do as, as, as good as you can. So when I say go, okay, ready, set, okay, just wait, wait, wait. Okay, mom, if he shatters his hand, you're not going to like sue, right? Thumbs up, or, okay. <laughs> okay, go for it. Well, it was. <laughs> Thank you. You can go sit down. All right. Turns out this wasn't, um, yeah, uh, solid granite. And um, if, if you uh, hadn't figured that out by the um, incredibly realistic paint job, uh, 
the fact that, well, I mean, theoretically you could do it, but I think usually if a, um, you know, a child can karate chop it, it, it probably means, if it reacts the way that this did, that it's not what we claimed it, it was. And here's, here's my point, is that if it's not fake, it wouldn't break. Okay? If this wasn't fake, it, it wouldn't break. If this was some super solid, hardened, you know, material, it wouldn't have broke like that. But if it, if it breaks, you know it's fake. The same thing is true with our faith. That if it's not fake, it's, it's not going to break. Even when the stresses, even in the pressures of the world come down as, as hard as it can. That if you have faith that is, that is given by God, you have born again faith. And God is working through this. It's, it's not even ultimately that it's, it's your strength. This is God is the one that is, is fortifying your faith. It is a faith that is not going to break. And when it breaks, it shows that it's, well, it's not the real thing. And too often that happens with people in the world, people that sometimes even claim to be Christians. And maybe they became you know, Christians or said they were Christians because they were promised that, hey, life is going to go perfect with you and there's going to be no suffering or nothing terrible is going to happen. And they were lied to. And then when hardships in life come, they end up being disappointed and blaming God and abandoning God. And it's evidence that it, it wasn't the real thing to begin with. See, this is the purpose of trials. The pressure, it stress tests us. So is it really going to break? Or are we going to be proven to be genuine? Are we going to be proven to be, by God's grace, solid and have a fortified, real faith? So as we keep going in the passage and we think about this, we think about tested faith. The trials produce tested faith. The second main point I want to say to you is, Christian, tested faith is of greater value than gold. Tested faith is of greater value value than gold. It's more precious than gold. I had to look up and see, well, how precious really is gold? Because I, I honestly, I didn't really know. I'm not an investor in, in gold. Um, I guess there's a little bit of my ring, but um, I don't, didn't really know, I mean, how much, you know, is a, a gold coin worth. So I looked it up, and based on, um, I guess, you know, gold goes up and down, but at least within the past 24 hours, uh, a gram of gold is worth $58. And a gram is not a lot. I mean, that's a little, like, kind of fingernail-sized little uh, slip of gold. It's, it's not a lot. $58. Now, if you have coin in your pocket, maybe you have a quarter, maybe you have a half dollar. Okay, maybe you even have a, a dollar coin. But if you had a coin in your pocket that was a, a one-ounce gold coin, uh, at the going rate, a one-ounce gold coin is... $1,827. That's a lot for a coin, okay? Um, and if you want to put it in the offering plate, uh, we got the collection thing back there. <laughs> but a gold bar, you think how much are those? You see them in movies or, or whatever. It's not like I got a bunch at my house. Uh, a gold bar at current rates, it's about $750,000. Okay, a, a brick or a bar of gold. That's, wow, uh, that's for... Um, yeah, a 27-pound uh, uh, brick, of, brick of gold. That's three-quarters of a million dollars. That's valuable. Now, what's the value of tested faith? The value of tested faith is 
more valuable than any of these. More value than this. If you're thinking, oh man, it'd be great to have some gold coins. It'd be great to have some, some gold bars at home. If you had to choose between that and tested faith, this passage is telling you you want the tested faith. It's more precious. It is more valuable than that. This passage says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result, to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so, notice it says tested by fire. You know, fire is, is used to, to test and to purify gold. You know, gold in, in nature, when they have it, it's always mixed with other uh, metals and lesser valuable metals. And so in this, in this process and other materials and sometimes contaminants, and so you melt it down and, and the, the, the fire purifies it. It gets rid of anything that's uh, contaminant. So it's resulting in pure gold or other metals that they can get rid of that are, you know, maybe fine, but less valuable than this. And you see, that's, trials are used by God in your life in that same way to purify you to help you to be more of the person uh, in purity in, in all the way through that God created you to be. God used these things to remove the, uh, the, the dross and the, the less valuable in your life. So he's bringing out who he created you to be by his grace and for, for his glory. It talks about the fire that perishes, or the um, gold that perishes. You know, um, fire doesn't destroy gold, it melts it down, in the end, everything is uh, destroyed in the, the final judgment, or at least um, you can't take it with you. But it shows that God is willing to use fiery trials in your life for his purposes and to, to, to purify you, like fire purifies gold. R.C. Sproul writes, God values your faith more than he values your gold or your present comfort. God loves you enough and he cares enough to make you uncomfortable and even allow trials, even painful trials in your life if he knows he is doing it for the purposes of, of purifying you, making you more into the image of Christ, making you Christian more into the person that, that he designed and, and created you to be for his glory, to remove sin from your life, to cut the root of idolatry in your life, all of these things. God is willing to put you through the hard things in order to, to do that. And he'll be with you through it, but he's willing to do that. So faith is, tested faith is more valuable than gold. And it's, it's tested faith, we think of tested faith is more valuable than gold. There's also fool's gold, though. And fool's gold, how valuable is that? About as valuable as false faith. A lot of people that claim to have faith, but in the end, it's, it's, when it's tested, it's found to be False. But true, tested faith is, is valuable. And so, I want to give you a few reasons why tested faith is more valuable than gold, that it, that it really is. And one, as you said, tested faith is shown to be genuine. Things are more valuable when they're authenticated. Things are more valuable uh, when you know that they're, that they're real, that they're the real thing. If you have fool's gold, that's not as valuable as if you can uh, authenticate that it's, it's real gold and it's not fool's gold or something with a question mark. You have this antique that you think is worth thousands of dollars. If it's authenticated, uh, then it's more valuable because you know what it actually is worth. 
And the same way, true faith authenticates and lets us know whether someone is a genuine Christian or whether they, they still need to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it lets us know if we can claim the security of all these promises and all these glorious things that we've been, that we were reading in 1 Peter. So in the passage, it says more uh, <laughs> valuable, it's, it's a tested genuineness of our faith. We also see in verse 7 that it brings glory to Jesus Christ. It may result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it brings glory to him now and it brings glory to him when, when he returns. And see, when we face trials and we face them well, it shows where our hope really is. It shows what we really value. You know, and God created us for his glory. And that means that we're, we're displaying part of it to the world, what we think is valuable. Is what you think to the world, what your neighbors and everyone sees, do they see, oh, you value your possessions, you value your comfort, you value um, your status with the people around you? Or do they see that when they, when they look at you and see, even going through trials, that your hope is in Jesus Christ? And that doesn't change even when you're going through difficult times. It shows that we value Jesus in his glory more valuable than our possessions, our comfort, our honor, or our reputation. Because sometimes we're going to take a hit with our honor, with our reputation in the eyes of people of this world if we're following Jesus. It shows it's more important than our safety and even our own lives. Edmund Clowney writes, The whole nature of suffering is changed for the Christian when he realizes that his anguish brings honor to Christ. Christian, when you realize this, and if Jesus Christ is the love and Lord of your life, it's going to change the way that we can, that, that we view these things. It means that we can worship and rejoice even through this. Rejoice doesn't mean we're just singing songs to make our heart feel better. We're, we're worshiping God. And I really think of, you know, worship has the idea of showing that, that God is worth it. And when we endure trials, we endure sufferings for his namesake and for his glory, you know, we're displaying to the watching world that we think that his glory is worth it, that it's even worth our, our suffering and the things that we go through, and that brings glory to him. You know, we're not being like Job's wife that told Job when he was, had his possessions and family stripped away and said, curse God and die. Instead, Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord worshiping him through all of this. And so we see that another thing that it does is that it allows believers to have confidence in what they don't physically experience yet. Verse 8 tells us this, because it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with, and filled with glory. Faith is not dependent on sight, here and now. And so Peter, as he's writing to this, he had seen Jesus Christ with his own eyes. He had seen the resurrected Christ. But these exiles that he is writing to, both in that day and to us, we haven't seen Jesus uh, in the flesh with our own eyes. But yet we can still believe, we can still hope, we can still love God, even though we haven't seen him with our, with our physical eyes eyes yet. Peter saw Jesus, but his readers had not. But we think of, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, and when he rose first, he saw all the apostles except for Thomas. 
And they told Thomas, Jesus rose, we saw him. And Thomas doubted. He said, no, no, no. He didn't believe it. And then Jesus appeared to them again with Thomas there. And after Thomas not believing, and Scripture tells us, uh, Jesus said to Thomas, quote, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Get this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You realize that's talking to you. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That if you're here and you're a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you believed him, you loved him, even though you haven't seen him with your physical eyes. And we think, well, how can you do that? How can you... Uh, you know, believe if you, and all this, if you, if you can't experience it with your own senses and, and test it out. Well, Scripture tells us there's, there's two reasons, there are two things that come together. We've, we've seen this already. It's, it's the, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. We have the testimony that is given that's the Word of God. I mean, these people, they had, uh, you know, Peter and the other apostles' teachings, they had some Scripture that they had. We have the Word of God you know, written down in, in Scripture for us, communicating to us. But not only this, it's not just that we have some, some ancient letter, but we also have the Holy Spirit working in your heart so that you know that this is authentic, this is true. Telling your heart that, that this rings true, this is the truth. And producing this, this, giving you this faith that you have, that you can trust him, that you can believe him, that you can love him. Yeah, even though so far we haven't seen him face to face in the way that we will one day. But we have the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And faith allows Christians to rejoice in trials. I know we've said this, but it says it again because in verse 8, it uses this language and says, and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. As a church, we are big supporters of missions because we believe strongly in God's command to take the, the gospel message um, across the street and across the world. Uh, 20% of our, our budget is committed to, to missionaries and those that, that, that spread uh, the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, a family of missionaries that we took on a few years ago was and is Emmanuel and Teresa Negru. And if you remember when uh, they were here, just an uh, energetic guy. Uh, they're with Word of Life and are doing evangelism in Greece and just how unevangelized uh, Greece is, and they are just full of energy uh, doing this, and, and people with uh, some great joy. I received this email from, or well, this uh, Facebook message um, from them on December 25th. Dear praying friends, God is allowing a time of trial of our trust in him and of searching our own hearts and according it to his. The baby, Teresa, at the time of writing of this was uh, pregnant. The baby that is due for the first days of January apparently doesn't have forearms and has a delay of four weeks in growth and some kind of blockage in the intestine. It is not getting sufficient blood and oxygen. He is 1.7 kilograms at this point and most likely is going to go into intensive care right after birth. Even at the beginning, it was very hard to receive these news and there were many tears, worries, and concerns, guilt feelings. 
what could we have done better? The impossibility of doing something to help right now. At this point, we are fine, excited, thankful, with peace in our hearts the most of the time, and expect to see what God is going to do, expectant to see what God is going to do in, for, and through us and the baby. It gives some details about Teresa's health. And then it says, Therefore we ask for your fervent prayers in this regard. And then they quote scripture. James five thirteen through 17 The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then they quote 1 Peter 1, 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved through various trials. The message goes on. The last ten weeks since we found out about this have been very good in regards to our closeness to the Lord and to each other. Thank you. On uh, their Facebook page, on December 29th, uh, they posted an update and said that the, the baby um, still unborn is in a delicate situation and they were, at that point, um, unsure if he or she was alive. And then a message uh, was posted on December 30th, on New Year's Eve. The Lord was very gracious to us. Name, Ezra Emanuel, 1.6 kilograms. I had to look that up and convert it. It's about three and a half pounds. He was born at 36 weeks due to several concerning factors that would put his life at risk. He is still in ICU. We've not been able to hold him yet, and we are allowed to see him once a day. And they've talked about through this how they have um, uh, for not, he, he's been in there to see him once a day, but because of policies and different things, not able to, to see the baby. You know, I read these, uh, these reports to you for, for two reasons. The first, obviously, is uh, I ask you to be lifting them up in prayer. And um, praise God that um, baby Ezra was born. Obviously, lots of challenges and trials ahead. Um, so we ask you to be in prayer for them and for, for baby and uh, just everything. But also, I bring this to you because as I was reading some of their updates, it just hit me, you know, what an example of battle-tested faith, of their rejoicing even in the midst of this is one of the, the hardest things that, that someone as parents could, uh, could have to cope with and deal with this. And you see going through this that it, there's a, a genuineness, a testedness of their faith. And it is stress-tested, it is battle-tested, and it glorifies God through that. I can also tell you the, the last um, report I got from them was on, was on Friday. And Friday, uh, they talked about they were able to, because uh, they really hadn't, they hadn't been able to spend time with the baby at all. Um, and for hospital policies and you know, COVID and different things, and some that made sense, some that didn't make sense. They said they had a pretty good uh, discussion with one of the hospital directors. And they said the director actually talked about that uh, there was another um, couple recently that had, uh, twins, and one of them had, had a very similar uh, circumstances, and 
those parents decided to terminate the life of, of that child. And the director of the hospital really commended them for, um, for choosing life and allowing their, their baby to come into this world. And then made a few contacts and um, allowed them to, to go and spend 20 minutes uh, with baby. Um, so a big road ahead, a lot of trials, but the testiness of their faith is, is bringing glory to God. And lastly, in this passage, in verse 9, it says, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The test of faith, it results in salvation. This is the, the result, the, the goal, the end of it. Some translations say the end of your faith, but that doesn't mean like your faith has come to an end. It means this is the goal, the outcome. This is what results from it. And so this is talking about there's a part of our salvation that's still future. You're, you're, the moment you trust Christ as Savior, you're saved then, you're being saved, but there's future, finalized salvation yet to come. And it says the salvation of your souls. When you realize, when it says this, it doesn't just mean that God only cares about your soul and he doesn't care about the rest of you. You know, he saves all of you. Uh, and the word that's translated as soul can mean life or can stand for the whole person. Although for most of us, it's going to be true that we're going to die. Our physical body will go into the ground for a while. Our spirit or soul, the immaterial part, will go to be with God. But when Christ returns, it all gets put back together and we get, we get saved and, and reunited and, and made whole again. And we see from this that the genuine saving faith is what God uses to save us. That's how we receive his promises. Salvation is by faith and it's by faith alone. You're not saved by being a good person. You're not saved by being in the right family or doing good works or trying hard or turning over a new leaf or being baptized or signing a card or raising your hand. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so I plead with you, if you haven't been saved by faith yet, if you have not been, if you have not been born again, I pray that you would, that God would work in your heart through his word and the Holy Spirit and that your heart would be turned and that you would trust and believe in him and that you would walk out of here knowing that you have an eternal hope. If you're unsure of this, I would love to talk to you. Pastor Nick or Ashley or Hope would love to talk to you. There's, there's others here that would love to talk to you. Or you can go to him directly and just ask him to save you, believing these promises and, and knowing this. It's not the prayer that saves you, but it's it, faith in Christ. Salvation is by faith alone. Because if you die without being born again, then none of these great things that we're saying is really true about your suffering. Then they're not temporary. Then your suffering is eternal that they're not purposeful like they would be if you uh, were a Christian, but in a sense, almost pointless, at least for you. But if you're born again, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord is your Savior, then you too can rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and we give you praise. We thank you so much for the promises that we have in this word and that we can put our hope in you. We thank you for strengthening our faith. That it is not up to us to, uh, to muster this or for us to keep our own salvation, but you are the one that keeps us. You are the one that holds us fast, Lord God. And therefore, we thank you even for trials because you have your purposes and you're using them to refine us and you're using them to test and to demonstrate the genuineness of our faith and it brings you glory and it helps us to rejoice 
knowing that we are saved and secured by you. All glory to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.